I am David Scott. David Eldridge is out of town this week. Um, so I am blessed to get to continue to share with you guys in Genesis instead of just avoid awkward moments in Genesis with your middle schoolers. Um, I don't think we'll have a lot of awkward moments today. If we do, they'll probably be because of me and not the text. So, um, But I want to tell you guys a little bit more about me. I think I'm the only full-time staff member that hasn't been here since uh, the beginning. Is that right? Yeah. Like, And so the rest of them all have been here. Um, I came to Stonebridge as the student pastor uh, almost two and a half years ago. Uh, but really, it was a long journey for us because my wife grew up in this community. Um, she grew up going to First Methodist, probably with some of y'all. And um, so came from here. A lot of our friends from college are here. Uh, David Eldridge's brother, Micah, and I worked together in college. Um, but then after college, I moved to Valdosta, Georgia. You guys, anybody? Valdosta? Anybody got any relationship to Valdosta? Or are you just driven through there on your way to Florida? Yeah. The beach mostly. That's the all. When we lived down there, seriously, even our relatives only came to see us when they were going to the beach. Nobody comes to Valdosta. They just go through. Um, but we lived down there. It's about 10 miles north of the Florida border and did campus ministry down there for five years. And we got married while we were down there and we bought our first home while we were down there. And I remember in 2007, um, we moved back up to this area. And so we sold our home in the spring of 2007, and we thought we were going to be rich forever. Anybody sell a home in 2007? It was like the most blessed, abundant time to sell property ever. And so, like, we made this money, and we were like, we're really smart, and look what we did, when really we didn't do anything except just live somewhere. But we were like, oh, we've got this, and we're going to put this into a house, and it's going to it's just going to happen again. We're just going to do it again next time we move. Wrong. Right? So because we bought a house in spring of 2007, which was not the best time to buy a house once 2008 came around. Right? And so all of a sudden, four years later, we were looking to, to sell this house. We were looking to move out of this house because we were going to move out of the area we were in. We would bought a house in Ackworth and um, we were moving around and um, that was not a great time to sell a house. And so we thought, well, what do we do with it? And we were going somewhere where they said, well, you can live for free. And so we said, okay, cool. We'll just rent it out. We'll rent it to college students because what could go wrong, right? Am I right? Are there college students in here? Any college students? No, they're the worst, aren't they? Like they are. So, but we thought, we thought we'll rent it to college girls because they're clean, right? No. No, they're terrible. They were in, it was it was a miserable experience. I'm not a landlord, so every time a girl got on the phone and cried about can't pay rent, I was like, okay, you don't have to pay. I mean, it was miserable. And then we moved back here, and we thought, okay, God, we're coming back. Uh, we're going to be in Marietta, and Ackworth is not far. So, uh, God, should we just move back into our home? But we felt strongly that God said, you know, you're going to a place that is. That, that wants to connect to the heart of Marietta. And to do that, you need to be in Marietta. And so we continued to rent our house, even though we didn't want to, but we did. And, um, and, and so we found a place here and kind of worked through that. And then finally, it just came to a point where we realized that renting, being people who rented it, what are they called? Landlords, right? Being, so I don't even know what they're called. But being a landlord was just going to suck the life out of everything that we liked. And so we said, we can't do this anymore. We are going to put our house on the market. We decided that this summer because the market was coming back, right? And you, there are these great stories. Like we would hear about our friends. They would get on Facebook, right? And they would, they would be like, oh, we put our house on the market on Wednesday. And by Friday, there were like 4,000 people who wanted it. We sold it for double what we were asking. And 
they're just like these stories. They're like, oh, God, you know, thank you for your abundance. And like, so we were like three days in and we were like, yes, God, and abundance. It's, and then 87 days later, we were like, those people are stupid, right? Like, we were like, and we were just stuck in this place, this confusing place for us because like all these things that we thought were supposed to happen. Like we, we couldn't, we couldn't buy a home in the town that we felt like we were supposed to be in. We couldn't sell a home in a town we didn't feel like we were supposed to be in. And, and all these confusing things were happening. And it just led us to this question, right? Like to this really deep theological question, which was, God, what in the world are you doing to us? Like, what are you doing? And be, because, because this is not what we thought it was going to happen. And, and this is not, this doesn't feel like good timing and it's confusing and it's this struggle. And I'll bet that everybody in this room has asked that question. And if you haven't, you're going to ask that question. If you haven't asked it about your house, you've asked it about your job. If you haven't asked it about your job, you've asked it about the person that you thought you were going to marry at some point. If you haven't asked it about them, you've asked it about the person that you did marry. If you haven't asked it about them, you've asked it about your kids. If you haven't asked it about them, you've looked at the world around us today and you've asked that question. You've said, God, what in the world is going on? This is not where I thought we would be at this point. And in every single one of those questions, there's this subtext, right? And it's the thing that came up a minute ago, and it'll come back up. And the subtext is this. God, this can't be what you had in mind when you said blessed. You ever feel that way? You ever look at your life or look at the rhythms or look at your kids or look at, if your kids are in here, don't look at them now. But you ever look at them and think, like, this is just, this can't be what you had in mind. It's, it's, I don't understand. I'm looking at my life and I don't understand what you're doing. And, and one of the, one of the cool things I think is that we're not the first people that have asked God that question, right? Nobody in this room, that's not a new question. It's the reason that I can ask it and I can know that you've asked it somewhere along the way. And, and people have been asking this question for thousands of years. And, and thousands of years ago, there was this group of people called the Israelites and they were wandering through this desert, right? And, and they, they heard these stories that they were supposed to be this chosen and favored people, right? But all they knew was that they had been slaves, that their kids had been killed. I'm still not in the right place with this, am I? Um, that they'd been slaves, that their kids had been killed, and that now they were captives in the desert with no home, with only a little bit of food, and wondering, are we ever going to get out of this? And they were asking that question, God, what in the world are you doing? Because this can't be what you had in mind when you said that you were going to bless us and that we were going to be blessed people. And so in the midst of that, God begins to speak to these people through Moses. And he begins to tell them, begins to broaden out for them an understanding of who they are. And he begins to broaden out for us an understanding of who we are. And into that steps the story of Joseph, right? And it's like in Joseph, God says, here is a guy who gets it. Here is a guy who understands that. Here is a guy who I told these things are going to happen in your life. And then almost immediately after I told him, he seemed like he was getting further and further away from those things, right? He immediately is despised by his brothers, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, kind of gets a little bit of an advancement, and then gets thrown into prison, gets accused of doing something when he was only doing the right thing and the opposite of what he was accused of doing, and now he's in prison. And, and, and we can all sort of look at that and be like, I thought I was going to be here 
and now this thing is here. And God, what are you doing? And it's through the story of Joseph, and particularly in the two chapters that we're going to look at uh, today, where God tells us, this, this, is, this is how you can get to a better understanding of that question. It's not necessarily how you're going to answer every detail of what I'm doing. But, but here's somebody whose life looked like, how can that be what you meant when you said blessed? And you can see what it looks like and what I'm doing in that person's life and how you can understand the context of your own life. So we're going to look at these scriptures um, starting in chapter 40, verse 1, and, and just walk through them and see the kind of things that God is, is teaching uh, us through Joseph and teaching the Israelites through Joseph about what, what exactly he's doing in us. It says sometime later, we don't really know. We know that Joseph uh, was sold into slavery around the age of 17. Um, and then he actually gets out of prison around the age of 30. So uh, the gaps between there from him being in Potiphar's house and beyond that, uh, we don't know dates, but the way that it says sometime later, you'll hear that a couple of times in this passage, and that what it means is it takes a while, right? It takes a while for these things to happen, and the Israelites are probably feeling that. It takes a while. And it says sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief, bake, and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. After they'd been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. You're going to see a few times all in the Joseph story, you'll see dreams come in pairs. And the reason that they come in pairs is because this was a confirmation. You'll hear about it more explicitly in, in chapter 41, but this is God confirming. I'm saying these things to you, this is me speaking. And even the Egyptians got that, but they didn't get that God would also want to talk to them about their dreams. And that's what we're going to see unfold here. So when Joseph came to them to see them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? Can you imagine a guy in prison asking another guy in prison, why are you sad? Like, cause I'm in prison, fool, right? Like, he's like, like, I imagine you get punched in the face in prison for asking people why they're sad. But Joseph kind of has this different perspective, right? Like, Joseph walks into this situation. One of the cool things you see about Joseph is no matter where he is, Joseph is kind of doing his deal, right? No matter where he is, no matter the circumstance, Joseph is doing his deal. And Joseph's deal is essentially two things. It's to interpret dreams and it's to take care of people and situations. And that's what he does. He does it in Potiphar's house. He does it uh, here in the prison. You're going to see him do it later down the road. And so Joseph, in the midst of this, because Joseph is able to, to have some sort of grasp of God, what in the world are you doing? He is able to care for the people around him. And you're going to see that continue on It's the reason I bring it up. So he looks at them and he says, why do you look so sad today? And they say, we both had dreams. They answer, but there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. And this is kind of a theme of Joseph's life, right? The interpretation belongs to God. So tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed and its its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup in his hand. So this guy sees himself doing what he did before, which was he was the cupbearer. He held the cup for Pharaoh, and he made the wine, and he gave the cup to him. And, And so Joseph tells him this. He says, this is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. 
Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. So you can see that even though Joseph cares about others, and even though he's able to do his thing, he doesn't like where he is, right? And it's important to acknowledge that. Like Joseph's not like, oh, just hang out in prison. No, he's like, listen, I'm here, and and I'm not here for the right reason. And so remember me. I, I, I want out of this situation. And then when the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, which was unfortunate for him, he he said to Joseph, and you can imagine this guy, he's like, all right, good, this was good news. So he says to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days, and in three days, David and Jane are going to sell their house. That's what he said. No, he didn't. That's what this guy was hoping. He was like, three days, yes, three days, it's going to be good for me, right? And it says, within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole, and the birds will eat away your flesh. And I kind of like, do you think that guy's like, okay, thanks, right? Like, what do you do with that? What do you do? And Joseph just sort of tells him, right? He doesn't soften it. He doesn't, he just doesn't. Here's the deal. God's the interpreter, right? And And I don't know. I don't really have a great reason to bring that up. It just seems odd. But it says, now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday and he gave a feast. Actually, I'm going to stop there and just stop for a minute and um, and just mention this. Uh, the first thing that's important, I think, in understanding what in the world God is doing is that we understand that God is the interpreter, that interpretations belong to God, that, that, that it's not that our circumstances should interpret how God feels about us, whether or not we're blessed, whether or not we're going to be okay. But that instead, God should interpret all of our circumstances and what we know about him is what should determine what we understand about our reality. Does that make sense? And so for Joseph, it's interesting. Joseph looks at all these situations. He's been put somewhere unjustly. The cupbearers had a dream and God's going to do good things for him. The bakers had a dream and God's not going to do good things for him. But for Joseph, all the interpretation belongs to God. Right? All the interpretation belongs to God. And so Joseph looks at every, all three of their situations, his own, the cupbearer, and the baker, and he says, listen, all of this belongs to God. And so it is ours to understand that God is weaving our lives in a way that he sees best and we can trust him. The interpretation belongs to God. And, and the thing I think that we need to hear in that is that some of us are in situations that we don't love right now. If you're trying to sell a house, if you're trying to understand your family, if you're not sure what God's doing in your marriage or what God's doing in your work or what God's doing in the fact that you don't have a job or, or you haven't found somebody, one thing that's important to know is that God is with you and is interpreting your life. And then instead of looking at our circumstances and saying, oh, that must be how God feels about me, right? When those people sold their house in three days and we didn't sell our house in three days, you know what my honest response wanted to be? God, why don't you like us as much as them, right? I mean, like, honestly, like, you're not supposed to say that if you're a preacher, but it's, I mean, like, you just feel that way, right? Like, you're like, that doesn't seem 
fair. And if God did that for them and he didn't do that for me, or if God made that happen over there and he didn't make it happen over here, then that must mean God is this, or that must mean God is not that. And it's the opposite. What God wants for us is to look at our lives and say, God is this and God is that. And so that must mean this is not what I think it is. Does that make sense? That must mean that God is working in this in a way that, that I'm having trouble understanding and I need God to be the interpreter of my situation instead of letting my situation interpret who God is. And Joseph was able to do that. And it's why he was able to not be like, oh, what's going to happen to me in prison? But instead look at people and say, what's going on? What does God want to do for you? Joseph was able to do what God made him to do regardless of his circumstances. And the reason is because he believed God was the interpreter of his life. God set the compass of Joseph's heart. And so Joseph said, God, I know what you have said. I'm not sure what this is, but I'm going to live based on what you have said and trust that you're going to work this out. Does that make sense? And it'd be interesting if Joseph had a conversation with the baker in that context and said, listen, God is doing something. You have three days. Because that was the way he processed it. So we go on, it says, the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Isn't that terrible? (laughs) You know, it's like, oh. You know, the Israelites were like, oh. You know, no. What's going to happen? What else can happen to Joseph? And it goes on, it says, when two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile. When out of the river, there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again, and he had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted. Thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled. And the reason his mind is troubled, just like the chief baker and the chief cupbearer, is that because Egyptians believed that dreams were the ways that God or the gods wanted to talk to them. But they were also afraid because they didn't know what God was like. And they didn't think God just talked to people. So he sends and he gets all these, these professional people. In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and the wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. And they think the reason was because he, he was asking them to interpret two dreams, and he kind of viewed them as one dream, and that, that was confusing for them, and, and they didn't understand it. And then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servant, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. Here's what God is saying to the Israelites through Joseph. And here's what he's saying to us, that people may forget you, but God does not. Is that people have their shortcomings. 
And situations don't always end the way that you would want them to end. And you may feel like you have been forgotten by everyone on earth, Israelites, as you wander through the desert. But God has not forgotten you. God did not forget Joseph. God did not forget his plans for Joseph. Even though Joseph may have thought, this was my way out. This was my chance. God said, no, even if that guy fails, I will remember you, Joseph, because I am doing something. And what God wants us to know when we say, God, what in the world are you doing? The first thing or one of the things he wants us to know is I am not forgetting you. You are not forgotten. Your prayers that you would have a child are not forgotten by God. Your prayers that your children would come to know Jesus are not forgotten by God. Your prayers that your workplace would come to know Jesus, that our community would come to know Jesus, are not forgotten by God. Even if it feels that way. Even if it feels like it's taking longer than you thought, that your prayers are not Forgotten. And then the pace starts to pick up in this story. It says, so Pharaoh sent for Joseph and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. Probably didn't feel quick to him. Probably felt about 13 years too late, right? When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to the Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, in my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile when one of the, went out of the river and then he goes on and Pharaoh tells the story to Joseph. And you can tell that Pharaoh in the second telling of the story, one of the things you see is that uh, the fat cows are not as impressive and the skinny cows are like these gaunt monsters that are eating everything. And so Pharaoh's getting nervous and he's getting scared because he's not sure who God is, and he's not sure what's going on. And so then Joseph said to Pharaoh, if we pick up in verse 25, Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorching by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. And now, and this is so interesting because Joseph could have just interpreted the dream and said, and let me go home, right? He could have just said, here, I did the job, I did my job, now let me out of here. But there's something that is developed in Joseph over this time as he has been faithful to God and been faithful to believe that God is interpreting his life and been faithful to do the things that God called him to do regardless of his circumstances. Something in him that has developed his care for people, right? Because he goes on and he says, and now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Because that's what Joseph does. Joseph says, I want to care for this situation. He says, let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food for some good year of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. 
This plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man? One in whom, one in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. I don't know if Joseph just had this sense of like, yeah, God does what he does, or if he was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Like 24 hours ago, he's a prisoner, right? And now he's second only to Pharaoh. And you know how many people probably looked at him and said, overnight success, overnight success, Joseph, right? But it's not the case, right? Like in most things or not, when it comes to what the Lord wants us to do, there aren't many overnight successes, honestly, Right, The way that some of our leaders put it when we were looking through this passage for our students was that nobody gets to the best without going through the crud. Nobody gets to the best without going through the crud. And Joseph gets through it, but, but, but here's the thing that I think God wants Israel to know. Yes, there will be times of struggle. Yes, there will be times when you feel like, I, God, I just have to trust that you're the interpreter. There will be times when you feel forgotten. But in the end, everybody, that's not what God wants for you in the end. God has a finally moment for everybody. God does have a finally for you. And some of us get so comfortable in the prison that we forget God has a finally for us, right? We've kind of started to hedge our bets a little bit. We've kind of started to say, well, I guess that this is just what I... We've become the Eeyore of Christians, right? Like, and we're just like, okay, right? And, and we just kind of get stuck in this place of saying, I guess that I'm sort of this like sub-tier when it comes to the Lord. And what God wanted the Israelites to know, yes, you're in the desert. And yes, what I want from you in the desert is faithfulness to trust me. And what I want from you is faithfulness to know that you're not forgotten. But there will be something after the desert. There, I do have promises for you. They weren't a joke. They weren't a trick. God has a finally moment for each of us when we finally do get to step in to what God wants for us. And check out what God wanted for Joseph. It says, so Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And Joseph said, I pity the fool that doesn't like my gold chain. And he had, that was more for me than y'all. He, um, middle schoolers, there was a guy named Mr. T who wore a lot of gold chains. Um, we're off track. Stop. He, can we edit this so David doesn't hear that part? He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and people shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zephineth Paneah and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He had his dream at 17, and he's 30, and he's finally starting to step into what God wants for him. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by a daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. 
Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh, and he said, it's because God has made me forget all the trouble in all my father's household. And then really make him forget if he named his son, right? But, but this is a reminder that, again, Joseph, it's not like things were always roses for Joseph. It was, it's not like he was sort of snapping his fingers and whistling while he was in prison. They, there, there were a lot of times that were tough for Joseph. The second son he named Ephraim and said, it's because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph has said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. Everybody had to now go. To, you imagine, you think Potiphar needed food? <laughs> and his wife, they were like, okay. Um, Go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe throughout Egypt, and all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. So here's God talking, sharing this story with the Israelites, and what he's saying to him is this. He's saying, you've got to let me be the interpreter of your life if you're going to understand what in the world I'm doing. You've got to know that I haven't forgotten you. You've got to know that there will come a moment when you say, finally, we're stepping into these things that we thought we knew. And he said, and what I have for you to step into is to be a blessing to the nations. Because that's what Joseph was. And what you see is God painting this big picture for the Israelites that's so much bigger than even 40 years in the desert could be. Because, because what God's doing in this passage is he's pointing all the way back to the promise he made to Abram. Right? You guys remember that as we studied that where he said to Abram, I'm going to bless you and make you a blessing. I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So it's not just Joseph's life that is finally coming to this place. But it's generations from Abram to Joseph that is bringing this promise to Abram, and he's looking at the Israelites and he's saying, this is what I'm doing. It's so much more than just getting you out of the desert. It's so much more than just getting you a house. It's even so much more than just helping your marriage. It's so much more than just getting you the job that you want. It is more than that. I'm doing all of this so that the nations will be blessed through you. You will walk you will be treated and you will, you will suffer and, and be treated like a criminal. But then I will lift you up and the nations will be blessed by you. Sound like somebody familiar? Yeah. And God says, that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing with Joseph. It's what I'm doing with Israel. It's what I did with my own son. And it's what I long to do with you. And it's what I long to do with you. What in the world is God doing? God is making you a blessing for the nations. And the truth is, some of that, honestly, we hate this, but some of that is only learned as we struggle through, God, what in the world are you doing? Right? We have this thing that, honestly, every single one of us, I think if we were honest, we would say, if I could, if I had my druthers, I would avoid the suffering to get to the good story. Right? Like, I would rather just have the good story without the suffering. And and unfortunately, we live... um, in some of, some of us live in a generation where we kind of hoped we could get that for our kids, didn't we? We hoped that we could get our kids to the good story with, but, while also alleviating any sort of suffering or struggle they could ever have. That's why we give them all trophies, right? It is. It's because we don't want them to suffer the, the feelings of loss. 
the feelings of being different, the feelings of somebody gaining something that they didn't gain. And I want you guys to know that I study these kids a lot. And one of the things, I'm reading this book right now, and you'll probably hear me say it if you spend any time with me. It's called Artificial Maturity by Tim Elmore. Has anybody ever read this book? Somebody's read? Some people are nodding. Um, and, uh, and one of the things it talks about is kind of what our kids are lacking because they don't have to struggle. He says there are really kind of, there are four things that you only really gain through having to struggle a little bit in life. He says the first one is this thing called um, emotional intelligence. He said that a lot of times kids that are growing up today, even into their 20s and stuff, they lack emotional intelligence because they never had to develop their emotions because we always protected them immediately when a negative emotion started to come in. Does that make sense? He said they don't understand how to process through that. It, It can only come, emotional intelligence only comes as you have to struggle emotionally through something. He says they lack character or, or ethics because they've never had to make a hard ethical decision because we, we swoop in to save them too soon. And so they don't have to make decisions because we either protect them completely or we say we don't want to offend them, so we let them do whatever they want. That only comes as you have to sort of struggle through an ethic as we give them principles, and then they have to struggle through how do they apply those principles. He said they lack an understanding of what they're good at because we tell them they're good at everything, right? Some of you guys, I don't even know if it's on anymore, but American Idol is the clear picture of this, right? Everybody's watched the early, the early weeks of American Idol when people walk in and you're like, how did they think they could sing, right? It's because their parents said, you're a great singer. And they were. They were a terrible singer. And then they find out the hard way. That, that we, we tell them they're good at everything, and so they don't ever have to struggle to be bad at stuff and good at stuff and understand really what God has wired them to do. And the last thing he says that they struggle with is leadership development, because we care so much for them, they don't ever have to care about anybody else. They think everything is centered around them. And so they've never had to look at other people and care for them and take care of them. And, and I bring that up to say this, that... Um, nobody wants to go through the struggle and that God's ultimate goal for you is, is not the struggle. But sometimes it's the struggle that produces what makes us a blessing to the nations. Does that make sense? And, and so God will leave us in things, I believe, for, for portions of time because he wants us to learn things. I, I could tell you the types of things that we've had to learn uh, in the process of, of trying to sell our house. You know, in the beginning, what happened is uh, something that Jesus talks about uh, in the parable of the sower. If you look at Mark 4, Jesus is talking about uh, a sower goes out to sow seeds and he, and he uh, puts some and some fall on this ground and some fall on that ground. And then later on, his disciples say, well, what's going on? And he says, um, he starts to kind of unfold it for them. And one of the things he says, and others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and they choke the word and it proves unfaithful or it proves unfruitful. And what he's saying here is here's what happened. God longs to speak to you. God longs to tell you the truth about life and his kingdom and his life. And so God begins to speak it in. But your immediate circumstances somehow, they, they don't really match all the things that God is saying. So God, so Jesus says early on in that, uh, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are the poor, right, in spirit. Blessed are the people who mourn. And so it's like there's this thing where God says you're blessed, but your circumstances don't match your blessing. And so if you start to look too much at your circumstances, if you start to look too much at why don't I have this and why does that person get that, And why hasn't this happened yet? He said those cares of this world will actually choke out the word of God 
in your life and you won't be able to really hear what God wants to say to you. I remember when we got some particularly bad news as we were going through the process of selling our house, calling Jane up on the phone and saying, here's what's happening. What do you feel like God's saying? And she said to me, I don't feel like I can hear anything. You ever felt that way? You feel so, you you have these desires and these cares and these concerns and they just begin to choke out what God's trying to say because your circumstances have started to define God for you. And God never meant for our circumstances to define for us what he thinks about our life. God wants what he thinks about our life to define our circumstances for us. Does that make sense? God never wanted it to work that way. But, but when we let those cares, we let those things come in. That's what starts to happen is we say, my circumstances are like this, so God must think about me like this. And the way you think God thinks about you will shape your life. And if you're Israelites wandering in the desert and you look around and all you see is the desert and you say, this must be what God wants for us, you'll get bitter, you'll get angry, or you'll just get beat up and you'll get tired. And you'll duck your head down and you'll stay in the desert. But if you say, no, 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 no. God gave us promises. God said he doesn't forget us. God says we will be remembered. We will finally get out of this. We will be a blessing to the nations. And God is using all of these things to move us that way. You start to look at your circumstances and you say, okay, God, what do you got? What am I supposed to know in this? And you start to pull the weeds out. You start to hear God's voice again about your situation. So, God, we haven't sold our house. So, God, what are you doing? What are you doing in the midst of this? We're not going to think about all these things we could do or should do or whatever. What, what are you doing? What does it mean to run after you in this moment, even though my kids feel like they're getting further away from Jesus instead of close to Jesus? What does it mean to run after you in this moment when I can't find a job or the job that I'm in doesn't feel like the right job or whatever? What does it mean to run after you in this moment? Because, God, I believe that you don't want me to stay in this moment any longer than I have to to learn what you have for me to learn. That's how we pull the weeds out. That's how we allow God to be our interpreter. And we allow God's view to shape our circumstances instead of the other way around. So three things about this passage. Kind of three responses. I'm going to ask whoever's who's coming up. Chad? We're going to have some ministry elders come up. Y'all can go ahead and come up. Um, if you're going to be praying for people and um, they are here to pray for you um, about anything that you need prayer for today. Uh, but particularly three things, um, I think, related to this passage, if they speak to you, if the ministry elders can go ahead and come forward, um, that would be good. So three things. Um, one is that you need God's interpretation of your struggle right now. You're, you're going through something that doesn't feel like or look like or sound like what you know God has put in your heart. And and the weeds are are getting around you and you just need them to be pulled away because you need to be reminded that God wants to interpret these circumstances for you. That if, if you are where you are, it isn't because God has left you. Just like Joseph in the prison, God is with you. Just like the Israelites in the desert, God is with you. Just like Jesus on the cross, God is with you. And you just need to know again. We would love to pray for you about that. Um, The second thing is that 
um, you, you kind of, you feel like you know what God is trying to teach you through your circumstances, but um, you kind of feel forgotten. <laughs> you, you, you feel like, God, I've learned what I need to learn. Can we move on now? Right? But in the midst, <laughs> but in the midst of that, and, and amen, right? Like, amen to that woo, because God never meant for anybody to live their entire life in the prison, right? Amen? And, and you feel forgotten, and you're at that kind of edge place where you're like, I'm either going to resolve myself to prison life, or God, you're going to renew my hope that you haven't forgotten me. So pull me out, God. Pull me out of the pit. Right? David says in the Psalms, God, you remember me. Right? Come. And that's you today, that you feel forgotten and you just need people to pray with you and just to say, God, remember and pull us out of the pit. Bring me into my finally. It's time. And then um, the last group is that uh, it's easy to forget. It's easy. It would have been easy for Joseph to just make the blessing of getting out of prison about the blessing of getting out of prison. Right? And it's easy for us to forget. As God delivers us and saves us, it's so easy for us to be like, all right, cool, life's awesome now, I'm going to get on my way. And forget that the reason God does these things is he has this broad vision, you guys, for this whole world. And that is that the nations would be blessed through those that Jesus has delivered. Jesus said, go. He said, go make disciples of all the nations and do everything that I've commanded you. And he said, go out. And he said, in my name, you're going to do this and you're going to do that. And it is going to blow the world away. And the nations are going to be blessed by you praying for them. The nations are going to be blessed by you asking for their healing. The nations are going to be blessed by you loving on them and caring for them and being generous with them. And, and, and giving them my perspective and telling them the same things I've told you. The nations need to be blessed. And, and, and for us as a people here at Stonebridge, for us as a people in Marietta, I mean, really for us as God's people in this world, there is a calling on all of us to stand up and say, God, we want to bless the nations. It's time we wake up and move into the world, right? We sang it today. It's time. God doesn't just deliver us so that we can say that was cool, even though it is. God delivers us that we might go out and see the hungry and make sure that they're fed. That's physical and that's metaphorical. God goes out that we might see the captives and see that they would be set free in the name of Jesus. And so for some of us today, what, what, what coming up here and, and responding or what responding in worship looks like is saying, God, I'm ready to be a blessing to the nations. I want to be a blessing to the nations. Use me. It's not just about bringing my family back together. And it's not just about getting me the job I want or selling my house or any of those things. It is about so much more. It is about being a blessing to the nations. And so God, use us. Use me. So let's stand together and we'll pray. After I pray, we'll, we'll worship and we invite you to come forward for response and, and receive prayer. Let's pray. God, we confess, Lord, that we are forgetful people. That just like the Israelites wandering through the desert again and again and again, we are forgetful people. And we thank you for the example of somebody like Joseph who did not forget, God, that you are the interpreter of all things. Good, bad, and indifferent. Whether he was talking to somebody, a fellow prisoner or whether he was talking to Pharaoh, God, you are the interpreter of all things. And so, God, we lay our lives before you right now and we say you interpret them. God, tell us where we are. 
in the midst of your story. Tell us where we are, God. If there's something we need to know, if there's something in the struggle for us right now, then God, teach us and teach us quickly because we do know that you didn't make us to be in prison for the rest of our lives. And God, don't forget us. God, don't forget us. Remember your promises, God. Remember the dreams that you put on our hearts, God. Remember the things that you've spoken into our lives, into our families, into our community. God, remember us. God, bring us into our family. Please, Jesus. And God, show us what it means to be a blessing to the nations. God, show us what it means to fulfill the promise that you didn't just give Abraham and Joseph and the Israelites and Jesus, but that you give us. God, forgive us for for just becoming sort of inwardly fat spiritually. And, And let us turn and pour out as you pour into us. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.